whether it's hiring me to speak at your next sales kickoff or delivering one of my high impact story selling workshops for your sales team virtually or in person, then don't worry, I've got your back. Okay, head on down to www.the ravirajani.com forward slash contact to book a complimentary discovery call to learn more about how I can help you and your sales team sell more with story. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of Amy Bolas. Now check this, after Amy studied criminal justice at Ohio's Kent State University, it became clear that the woman from Michigan had a passion for creating change and fixing things to make them better. Born was her mission of trying to leave the world a better place than when she came to it. What's a vehicle for creating this change? Well, recruitment. But more specifically, in the world of sales, CS leadership, and SaaS startups, from spending 20 plus years in the world of tech, closing over $100 million in revenue as an enterprise seller, and seeing what I would say is the harsh reality of what it truly takes to succeed, Amy became obsessed with helping SaaS startups hire executive sales leaders without the cringe, uh, cringe, cringe either, and the bravado, you know what I'm saying? And there was born her company, Avenue Talent Partners. For the past seven years, Amy has been solving the million dollar problem of hiring the wrong sales leader. It's painful to be real for the business, the CEO, but also confidence crushing for the sales leader. You know what I'm saying? And luckily, Amy has a solution and it all lies in the power of human connection and conversation. And when Amy's not working, she's hanging out with her cat, dog, and husband, probably in that order. And today I've pinned her down to talk about how to rewire the story you tell yourself, ditch those demons, and become a successful seller in an economic downturn. Amy, welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You made me sound so very titillating, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, listen, you got a cool story, my friend. I was looking at your LinkedIn about section, all the different shows that you've been on. I was like, man, she's got a depth of experience here. And what was cool was I saw a LinkedIn post of yours. I think it was about two days ago. And you said these words. You said, when everybody is zigging, be the one that zags. Find your own path find your own voice and find what works for you and just mute out the noise. So I'm curious, tell me about the time when Amy realized she had to stop zigging and actually found her own voice. I think I was born to zag versus zig. So I was raised with very supportive family members that were just like, you have to blaze your own trail. And when you try to be like everybody else, you're going to lose that thing about yourself that makes you special and unique. I would be lying if I said, I didn't get caught up in trying to keep up with other people. But I think for me, in my 20s, when I had found my own rhythm in enterprise sales, so I was thrown into the D-Event when I got into enterprise sales. And I was just trying to figure stuff out as I was thrown in. It was a big downturn when that was happening. That company did not survive, sadly. 
and I found a new role. And that was really a critical inflection point in my career. And my boss at the time, who ended up being a business partner for the first company that I started and a dear friend and mentor and all the things, just like this incredible human in my life, really empowered me to blaze my own trail and gave me, I think, the agency and the authority and the support to do that. And as I was climbing more and more and more and higher and higher and higher in terms of the success that I was realizing, the people around me that I worked with that were once really good friends of mine, the knife started kind of getting into the back a little bit. And that really bothered me. And I remember him sitting down and talking to me and and talking about mediocrity versus being exceptional. And he's like, the more exceptional you become because you're doing things in a way that work for you that most people can't understand or will never understand because it's you, the more they won't understand that and the more they will have something to say about it that won't be favorable. And you have to get really comfortable and clear with that. And so I doubled down on that. And it wasn't like I was trying to have conflict with a bunch of people all the time, but it was more like I really dug into measuring what mattered. And for me, what mattered was that relationship with him, doing the best that I could do to not have a bunch of conflict with a bunch of people. But also, it was all about my buyer, all about my customer, all about delivering on that. And in that world, I traveled all the time. So I wasn't really around those people anyway. So it didn't really matter to me. But the more I did that and the more I focused on that and the more I didn't really care about my competitive landscape, but really about understanding them and figuring out solutions that would meet them where they were versus relying on talk tracks or and that, that nomenclature didn't even exist then, but it was just showing up in earnest who I really was and what I really could bring to the table with another person. And that helped me zag a whole lot. And I've never looked back since then. Mm, that's dope. So it sounds as though this mentor really gave you, I suppose permission isn't the right word, but permission to go out there and just own it. And I think one thing, which is your superpower, and by the way, this is like the first time we've connected, but I feel like I know this about you. I feel like one thing that's your superpower is your ability to communicate your values and your boundaries in an empathetic and polite manner. Now I'm curious, is that from a place of being on the other side and being awful at doing that at one point and being like, yo, I need to change this? Or was that something that you specifically learned very early on? I'm a very verbal person and using my words is something that is a superpower of mine. I think a lesson that I've had to learn is you can use your words and you can have hard conversations without being really sharp. And so the thing is, I can tell you what's up and I can do that in a very direct way that's hard to hear but I'm not doing it in a way that's trying to slap you at the same time. And so I think that's like the powerful intersection is I live and die by this motto of you set the stage early and often for how people are with you. And I do that in every part of my life, whether it's my personal life, whether it's my professional life, whether it's with my buyers, it's we can have difficult conversations and I'm not going to shy away from having that difficult conversation. Even though I might dread it, I'm still going to have it. And even if I'm wrong, I'm still going to have it and I'm going to listen and try to learn. And I think that's the thing. So it's not that it was something that I think was trained. I think it's the fact that I actually care and you can't fake caring. And I talk a lot about this. I'm genuinely interested in the human condition and other people. And my buyers aren't just transactions and I'm not a cashier. And while, yes, I like that benefit 
the fruits of my labor, so to speak, that's great. I'm not a nonprofit organization. That's a wonderful feeling. But that's not the place where I start. That's the outcome. And the place where I start is I actually care what I'm doing. And if I don't care about what I'm doing, I won't do it. And so that verbal piece for me of communication, it all starts and stops with our ability to communicate. So if I can't use my voice and everything that I do in my business has a lot to do with our ability to communicate, then what the hell am I doing? Then I have a really big problem. And so the ability to articulate what I'm thinking, what I'm hearing from somebody else and trying to figure that out, making heads or tails out of it, whether it's a good conversation, a hard conversation, or somewhere in the middle of that, or a wildly silly conversation, I'm totally here for all of that. So I don't know if that answered or addressed what you're talking about. It's just kind of like who I am. It's not like I went to school. The only thing that I did was I went to Toastmasters early on in my career because I said like a bunch. I still say it sometimes. The ums and the uhs and the you knows. And going through that, if I wanted to be very clear in the way in which I communicated, I wanted to work on that so that when I was in a room with a bunch of executives, and that has happened to me many, many times, that I could actually command that audience in a way that was a lot more powerful than, you know, like, I kind of like want to like, sort of like help you. And like, I kind of think like I could, there's a very big difference with that than saying, this is what we're here to discuss. I'm excited to be here with you all. These are the things that we talked about. Does that still hit for you? And if not, let's retool, see how there were no ums or likes. So communication, it's important. I suppose where this stems from is I think human beings, a lot of the time we get stuck in people pleasing. And I feel like you are an advocate of being able to maintain boundaries and communicate them in a way with which is respectful. But as you said, to the point without sounding cutting. And I suppose it all boils down to the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Which is why we're here today. And, you know, I'm thinking back to a moment which you touched upon, but the financial crisis of 2008, where you were selling at Yahoo and Indeed, you were still, I, I'm, I think, in a quota-carrying role. Maybe you were in leadership at the point. But I'm curious to know, during that time, when you're reading the press, layoffs, left, right, and center, what was one story that you secretly told yourself back then, which actually created a blocker for you to actually be successful during that time? And how did you overcome it? Well, it's also when I left Yahoo to start my first company. I was telling myself a lot of different stories at that time. The first story was, I'm ready to go out and do it for myself. And as much as I really enjoyed Yahoo, which I did, and I had great success there. And yes, I was in an individual contribution role there. My The person that we talked about before, my old boss, he and I had stayed in touch and we wanted to get the band back together. And the signals for the recession were not front and center for us. And so I'm a bootstrap gal. And so is he. And so that summer, we started the company together. And so the story I was telling myself was, this is the time people are excited for us to get back together. And I had a pipeline that was a multi-million dollar pipeline within a matter of weeks because they were so excited about how we had reimagined what we had once done and how we were going to do that now. And so all signs were pointing to yes and how great it was. So that business was tied to managed care, so the healthcare industry. And a lot of those businesses were then tied to the auto industry. And those two things outside of the housing <laughs> crisis that was happening, if you remember, the autos were about to collapse and healthcare was a huge, huge, huge point 
of um, conversation around the election. And all of this was coming to a head. And so in one fell swoop, like in less than two weeks, that pipeline went from multi-million dollars worth of pipeline to zero. Like that. Yeah. And so the story that I started telling myself that was a limiting belief to your point was I was real, real confident and I've always been confident in myself. If I don't believe in myself, who else is going to? But that little voice started creeping in of, I don't know if I can sustain this. And I have responsibility now. I was newly married. My husband and I had bought this ginormous house. (laughs) We had bills that my business partner, quite frankly, didn't have the same responsibility. We had a bunch of stuff that that, that all was happening in one fell swoop. And that voice started creeping in. And it was like, maybe this isn't the right time. And then there was shame. And then there was embarrassment. And failing that fast for me has never happened before where it's like, what? Just reconciling all of that and that voice to the point where I had to eat crow and step away from the business because we, we were bootstrapped. And we were getting feedback from our buyers that once were like, where do we sign on the deadline contracts out to a full stop, halt, stop the presses, nothing's going to happen. And by the way, we love you and we want to work with you, but we don't know what's going to happen until after the election. It's going to take at least a year and a half or two to find out how the dust settles. We didn't have a year and a half or two worth of capital to see what that would look like. And we didn't want to take outside investment. And also there wasn't a lot of outside investment to go get at the time with without ridiculous terms that we were going to be uncomfortable with. And so I had to make a really hard decision. So those voices were in my head and I felt like a failure and I felt like a disappointment and I felt a lot of different things. It was like one of the hardest times in my life. And I'll never forget, I called my business partner in like an office depot parking lot in tears being like, this is it. And having that discussion. And he had the wherewithal to, to stick it out. And that business is a wildly successful business. He has had major success and I'm so proud of him. And people are like, aren't you weird about that? I'm like, no, I'm not. That's okay. I helped start it. And then he took the baton and ran with it for a long time before ever taking a sip of water. And then when he got that sip of water, he carried on through the race and I'm just so proud of him. But the interesting thing is, even though I had to eat crow and go back to Yahoo, which was really hard, and they were very generous to welcome me back with open arms, that little baby voice, the one that you're talking about, I remember thinking to myself, and I will do this again in terms of I'll start another business. And fast forward the years later in 2015, I started Avenue Talent Partners. So it's just funny how even though in in spite of like all the crazy and all the feeling of like being the biggest failure and embarrassment and having to go back, even though that company was wonderful to me and giving me an open door and welcome arms and I could recover, I also had that little voice of like, you were bitten by this bug and you will come back to this table and you will do different work. And here I am. And the rest is history, as they say. You know why I love that? It's so funny, isn't it, Amy? When you experience certain things and it becomes a part of the reason why you are where you are now. You couldn't have been 
in the position you are now without having gone through that. And I nearly called you Ames, by the way, because one of my best mates is called Ames. And I'm always like, yo, Ames. So I love that. Through the screen. Um, that's I'm a huge nickname person. So like that actually hears me to you. So please do. Have at it. Oh yeah, Ames. What's my nickname then? I can't just be one sided. What's mine? It comes to me when it comes to me. Like it just is gonna be like you're gonna do something or say something, I'm gonna grab onto it right then. Do it. It can't just like happen because you want it to happen. It has to organically unfold. I'm not there yet. It'll happen. And when it does, right. Watch out. I'm ready. Don't worry. You can throw anything at me. Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt, wherever you want, I'm good, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Those names are already taken, though. So, you know. Oh, damn it. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. All good. But what I'm fascinated about is something you said earlier about having to go back to Yahoo. Man, I can imagine the ego battle, the internal battle of what will this look like internally and what story am I going to tell people? about what just occurred. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because that fascinates me because it takes so much self-awareness and understanding of yourself to go and do that. So talk to that. The only story was the true story. Like there's no spin up. And I'm not a spin artist. I'm not, what you see is what you get with me. And I live in the world of truth and reality. And I try to do that is is just sort of like a- a tenant of self, but the story was having to raise my hand and eat crow. And the story was, you all know why I left and on my way out of Yahoo. So this is a lesson for anybody listening. When you leave a place, always leave it better than when you came into it because people don't always remember the work that you did. They remember how you left. And when I left I tried to bend over backwards to make the transition easy, to make sure that the book that I had was transitioned well, to be helpful, to make sure that my buyers felt good about the fact of who they were going to be working with now and, you know, all of those things. And that wasn't lost on them. And I appreciate that. And so when things started to happen and I was having conversation with them, it was, I'm really mortified that I even have to have this conversation. And this is, really tough. And it's not for a lack of trying. And it's not that I wanted to have this. But if I'm going to go to a place, I rather go to a place like Yahoo, where I'm proud of the product and proud of the work, I feel good about it, than leave it up to fate and try to figure it out somewhere else. And they were really good about that. And I was very open with them. And they were very gracious to me. They already knew what they were getting with me, by the way, they knew my work ethic, they knew how I interacted with my customer. They knew how my customer felt about me and they knew what I would do to be successful. And so they knew what that was and what that looked like. They had a front row seat to that. So they felt good about that, but it was having to replay it in interviews. And they put me through the same interview process, even though they knew who I was and they invited me back. It wasn't like I just called up and said, Hey, what's up? do you want me back? You said you did. Let's do this thing. And the next day I have a job. It was having multiple conversations at different levels and really paving the way for what would this look like in earnest. And that was hard. And having to, as I went up to like the GM that didn't know me, that was new from the last time I was there, that didn't have any clue to any of those things and was genuinely curious and not being a jerk. That was like, how do you start a business? And less than a year later, it implodes. Like what happened and having to talk about that and having to talk about it as it was happening. It wasn't like 
I'm talking about it with you right now where all the feelings are processed and I am not in despair and it doesn't feel raw. It hasn't affected all these bits and pieces of my life that make it really difficult. It was, this is happening right now. Yeah. It was, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to be honest. And if people don't understand that it wasn't a mistake, I didn't make a mistake. I took a leap of faith and the market was horrible. It was a huge recession. The intersection of the market that we chose was, unless I picked housing, which thankfully I didn't either, I wasn't Lehman Brothers. So like, unless it was that, I picked one that was also really hard. Healthcare was really, really hard. So wrong time for me, wrong solution that wasn't ready to be adopted. So you can have a brilliant thing that people want as he proved later on. But if you're not ready to ride out that storm, it doesn't matter. And so I think it was that part that was difficult to come to terms with. We did all the right things and it still didn't work out. And I wasn't used to that yet because I'm used to, you do the right work with the right people consistently and it works out. And no matter what I did, it wasn't going to work out at that moment. I could plant seeds for the future, but that would have taken a lot longer than I had the ability to sustain. And that was the realization that was really hard. Uh, that's not my daughter, Rev. That's my wife. He said, as I asked him a question about a picture I could see in his background during a Zoom call. And I remember thinking, man, I'm speaking to the COO of Insightly here about supporting his team with their storytelling. And I've definitely blown the deal, period. But strangely, he laughed. I definitely squirmed a bit. And before I knew it, I was actually delivering a virtual workshop to his revenue team a few weeks later. Now, here's the thing, people. If you know me, you'll know that I love partnering with people and companies who really believe in the power of relationships. And that's exactly why I've teamed up with Insightly, who are the sponsors of today's episode. Now, every single sales team that I train knows this. If you want to build a real connection I'm talking about a real, authentic connection with your customers and create a unique buying experience, then you need a CRM which aligns your entire revenue org around one common purpose. And hey, if you feel the same, if you feel me, then maybe Insightly is a CRM solution for you. So if you're not in your head right now, then head over to www.insightly.com forward slash influential to get your free 14-day trial today. All right, let's get back to the show. Are you a spiritual person, Ames? I am. Reiki. Re- are you a Reiki? You're a Reiki thing. I love it. Do you, are you into human design? I am. So are you a projector, uh, manifester, generator? What are you? I'm a manifester. Are you? That's interesting. When did you first start digging deep into your human design? In 2019. Like right before the pandemic hit, April of 2019 is when I really went down the Reiki path. Oh. If you know these terms, you know this. So what are you? I'm a projector. Yeah. So for those listening right now, the best way to describe human design is it's a chart which ultimately reveals a lot about the way that you process information as a human being, how you interact in relationships, in business and in life, but from a spiritual pull. Would you say, Ames, that's about right? Yeah. I'm sorry. Did you say manifesto or generator? I missed that. Generator. You know, what's interesting is I feel like I'm a little like bit and piece of each one. Do you ever feel that way where it's like this and that? And if I could 
just pull this and this over here, then I'd be the full picture of me. So I identify with many qualities of each. Yes, I'm with you on that, my friend. I'm with you. And when it comes to the manifester, I nearly said generator, manifester, have you evolved your business model or changed the way that you structure things in accordance with your design? I'm really curious. A million percent. Yes. What were you doing differently that you changed as a result of learning more about your design? Then or now? Both. I don't even know then. I wasn't even enlightened the way that I am now then. So I don't even know. Now, every single year, I do a vision board. And when I'm doing it, you have to get super intentional about what it is that you want to manifest or what it is that you'd like to attract back to you. And every year as I'm doing that, I'm thinking about the things that I've mastered really well and the things that have really kicked my rear end. So I'm a big journaler too. And I have this way of doing, it's like my approach or philosophy to journaling. And I have a few different ways. Some are personal, some are professional. The professional way is every day I journal and I ask myself a series of five questions and I don't look back until every month and I take a highlighter and I look for the themes and then I have these themes And then I look back at the end of the year and it's like, wow, the story of me for the last 12 months. And so every single year I tweak based on what I see. So it'll be seven years in October that I'll have ATP or Avenue Talent Partners. Mm -hmm. Every year I get much more narrow about what it is that I do. The more narrow I get, the more specific I become, the more specific I become, the more powerful I am, the more powerful I am, the more I can actually help. And that is like the most significant way that I can fill up my cup. Like it just makes me feel helpful because I can be specific. I'm not a catch-all. So when I think about people that can't get specific, and I think this probably strikes a chord with you when it comes to storytelling, as I tell my story, when I am speaking to someone There is a very specific why behind it. And there's a very narrow lane that I swim in. And that's either going to be for the person or it's not. And that's okay. If it's not, we're no longer wasting our time with each other. And you can still leave the door open because you never know what's going to happen. But it's that realization of where I've gotten real strong that has absolutely had this defining moment in my professional life. See, this is so interesting because now that you say that, Even when I look at your LinkedIn profile, it's funny, seven plus years in, you are still very niched or niched, whichever side of the pond you want to be on, very focused. And it's funny, the anxiety which occurs with niching down, people just can't wait to go broad because they just want to help the masses. But it's funny because you know, in order to manifest what you want and truly be able to help more people, you've got to be intentional and narrow. This is dope. Don't you think human design, I suppose early stages of my journey, but don't you think human design should just be taught to all business owners? It's so dope. I think it should be taught to all people. Like I can't tell you for the work that I do where people will come to me and they'll say, I'm looking for a job. And it's, well, what is it that you want to do? And it's sales. Well, why? I'm good at it. How? I've had success. What does that look like? They can't quantify or qualify it at all. Mm. Or have you ever met that person where it's like, I can sell anything to anyone. Just give me a job and I can do it. And it's like, actually, probably not. So it's interesting to me and true story. When I first started ATP, this is what I thought. And I'm so glad there's no paper trail because the website has is down. And I have a new website. But the way that I thought about it was, so 
I spent the lion's share of my career before ATP in HR tech and selling products and services into the recruiting and talent acquisition community. So I have a really huge network there. I'll recruit those people. And then I'll actually, because I know a lot about employment branding, I'll have a consultancy around that. And then sales is my first business love. And so I will recruit salespeople. And I was part of a mastermind group that I was part of for six months. And I was like, this is a total waste. I got two things out of it. One person that I know to this day that I absolutely love and one urge to use my voice from a content perspective. So two things came out of that. But beyond that, it was a waste of everything. So as I was thinking about this, sales was my jam. And their encouragement was, well, as you're building up your recruiting business, even though you want the executive role, you also tell them you'll take everything else and build out the entire team. And I was like, that, that sounds right. So I had on my site, we'll help you hire SDRs all the way through CRO for sales. It wasn't even skewed to tech startups, which is really where my heart is. That's like 12,000 businesses in one that I just rattled off to. So I could be a employment branding consultant. I will place talent acquisition executives, and I will also do all the things for sales. And my very first thing in terms of client that I got when I started the company was a consulting engagement for employment branding. And while I did a good job and my client was very pleased, I hated every single second of it. It was the first thing that came off of the website. Like I was like, and done it. So I peeled it off. So I've been shedding, it's like kind of like, you know, the skin of a, of a reptile or a snake. It's like, you just keep shedding off the layers and then out comes the new skin. And it's, it's beautiful when it, you're first emerging. Right. So it's like, that's how I envision this is the more specific I can get, the more magnetic I become. And that's the case that I see with my clients when it comes to interviewing. And I think it's probably the thing that you see with the work that you do too if you cannot be specific and you make it difficult for me to try to understand what it is that you're bringing my way, you have lost me. And being able to be specific is the number one reason why people don't move forward with each other. In sales, in recruiting, I think in life, if you're making it real hard for me to understand and you're unclear and I'm confused, you kind of lost me. And then it's that whole alignment thing. So in my mind, alignment is everything. So every year I go through thing to try to just get more and more and more clear. And, and that is the work that we're talking about. Oh, Ames, you are speaking my language, my friend. <laughs> I love this because isn't it funny how business in what we do in our worlds, because arguably what we do is quite personal brand driven. The more you evolve as a human being, your business evolves with it. Like, for example, where you'll be in seven years from now, it may be even more specific or something completely different, but you're going to be led by your experiences, your story and your design, which is incredible. Now, you mentioned something interesting earlier about your love of journaling. Now, what I'm curious, and I read that in an article about you, actually, and what I'm curious to know is if you're a seller today, you're being slapped with bad news about layoffs and you still have to hit quota. How can somebody gain self-awareness around the stories that they're telling themselves today as a seller? Your tool was journaling. 
But what are other ways somebody could say, ah, this is the story that is holding me back? Be really, really careful. So like journaling is the jam because a lot of the time when you're journaling, what you're telling yourself is actually not rooted in reality. So I think that's that. I think also we start telling ourselves stories and working ourselves up and they're not rooted in any sort of reality. So I think the second thing is to stop and ask yourself, who's telling you this nonsense? And the answer is nobody, it's you. So when you're actually (laughs) stopping and reminding yourself, it's you, you're getting in the way of yourself to wreck yourself, for yourself, to yourself, by yourself, cut it out the nonsense. And the thing about journaling that I like is when you write something and I physically write it, I'm not typing it, I physically am writing it, that physically slows your thoughts down and you're a lot more intentional about what's going on. So a lot of the time with all of the stuff in the news, and I'll say the most pivotal moments in my life have oftentimes come from the lessons that I learned through recession or downturn. I was thrown into enterprise sales in 2001. That was a huge recession and downturn. The second one was in 2008, and we're talking about this. And even though I had to fold up shop for myself in a business, I was welcomed back and had success. So I think there are pockets that are really struggling. And yes, we're reading about layoffs. And yes, we're reading about the things that you and I are both seeing where companies are going through things. And sadly, that sucks. But at the same time, there are companies, I have a client that we just onboarded, they have 500% NRR, 500%. There are companies that are absolutely thriving. And so I think it's about a reframe of, there's a couple of things that I do mentally. It's not just writing it down. It's what's the opposite word of what I'm feeling right now. So if it's fear, it's what's the opposite word, hope, confidence, joy, happiness. And I will fester on that word instead of the fearful words. And you say that over and over in your mind and your mindset starts to shift a little bit. I'll go to Reiki and I'll get the ick out. So like, if you think about energy, so to speak, and I'm not trying to go all woo-woo for the people that are here, but think about where you invest your time and in your energy. It's like a plug. So here's a wall, here's a plug. And whatever I'm giving myself to I'm plugging myself into that wall. And when it's not serving me, my thoughts or whatever it might be, I look at it like this, like here's the bad thought or here's the fear. It's taking that plug and physically removing it and bringing that energy back to myself to take care of myself. So it's that is a powerful reframe. It's also the company that you keep. So if you are scared or you are worried or you're not sure, and you're surrounding yourself with all the negative Nellies on LinkedIn, on Twitter, your colleagues, and it's this chatter. It's kind of like the great resignation, like, oh, my friends are all leaving for $5,000 more, so I should too. And now it's the great regret. There's that old adage that my mom said when I was growing up, if everybody else jumps off of a bridge, should you? And the answer is no, you shouldn't. So when I think about the people that I surround myself with, I want people that are really solid, meaning they're not afraid to check me when I need to be checked. And they're also going to be my biggest cheerleaders when I need some support. And when I'm crumbling and I'm scared and I'm afraid that they're going to reinforce and kick me in the rear end a little bit, that I got this. Not people that are going to throw fuel on the fire and say, 
yeah, you know what? You're never going to be able to get through this. And yeah, the recession, it's all over the place. And look at this list. Here's this updated list, layoffs.fyi, that everyone's getting laid off. It's like, guess what? Lots of people are getting laid off. And for that, I feel for you. But all you have to do is go to LinkedIn and type in sales, for example. And the last time I checked, there were over 62,000 jobs that were still open. So for every door that closes, there's also other doors that will open. And so you have a choice. Do you fester on the one that closed? Or do you deal with that, process it, understand lessons? What was your role in it? Everybody has culpability in the story. So I find that a lot of the companies that are laying off right now, they burn too hot. They took on too much money. They threw bodies at a problem. They had no business hiring. And you got seduced by the funding and the this and the vision. And for somebody that maybe brought you an opportunity that wasn't sexy, maybe you should consider the non-sexy sectors that do provide a little bit more stability and growth and opportunity. So it's like, are you getting caught up in that door that shut? Or are you doing the work around that door to understand your role, your lessons, the work, the opportunity, and then taking that and parlaying it to the doors that can open around you? It's why I hate, I absolutely hate what's happening on LinkedIn right now about the cancel and the shame culture. Nothing good comes from calling somebody out that's bad energy, and that energy is going to come right back at you. Nothing good happens. And in fact, if you pile onto that or you're starting a post like that, future employers and future opportunities, they're watching that because if that's how you conduct yourself in a scary time, in a sad time, in an uncertain time, or in a bad moment for you, even if the other party is bad, that other party is going to get theirs. You don't have to do it. That's a negative reflection of you food for thought. Those are all things that I do and think and feel. I love it. Uh, you know, Reiki, let's pick up a few points here. And I hope you all are li- <laughs> are listening to this and you need to bloop, rewind and listen to that again, because that was dope. There's some uh, mic drop moments there. So let's pick up on a few things. The Reiki, love it. I haven't had the opportunity to dig deep into that yet, but it's on the list. Now, when you mentioned about the anchoring evidence, I love that. When somebody says, hey, I'm a bad salesperson, the question is, is what is the evidence that is anchoring that? That's what Amy's talking about. Is it really true? Right, Ames, is it true? The next thing is, who are you surrounding yourself by? You know what I'm saying? Who are you truly listening to in your day-to-day? And that's just not just, I suppose that's not just human beings. That's your newsfeed on LinkedIn. That's all of that good stuff. So some really, really important tips there. And what's very interesting about what you said, Amy, was the negativity that sometimes seeps from social platforms. What's interesting is the higher the tension in a story, you know this better than anybody, (laughs) the higher the focus and attention we have as human beings to paying attention to it and really listening to it. So it's unfortunately fear and negativity sells in the media have really just been living off it for a very long period of time, which just sucks. But I'm with you on that. You know, how you operate in bad times says a lot about you as a human being versus in good times, hey, it's good for everybody, right? It's easy to act like a good person then. So I love that. So this this transitions nicely into a question, I suppose, which takes us to the present day. And if you're open to sharing it, which is what is one story that Amy is telling herself today, which you secretly think might be preventing you from molding yourself into tomorrow's identity? I've grappled with worthiness throughout different parts of my life. And I think when you've done the work, a lot of work, and you have realized success, and I've done those things, how I envision what it should look like 
is different than what it is. And then I think that worthiness thing comes into my mind of like, well, you don't look like this other thing. And then I have to remind myself comparison is thief of joy. So cut it out, right? So it's like that starts to creep up and I won't let it take over. But I'd be lying if I said that it's those things of I don't display this way or am I worthy of this? I haven't worked as long at this yet or I haven't mastered it in my mind yet. So I shouldn't do it yet. So I'm launching something at the end of the month and I have really deliberated over it for a long time. And finally, I just said, of course, you're going to do it. And it scares me. And the things that scare me the most tend to serve me the best at the end of the day. But I've had a lot of beliefs around worthiness, around timing because of that. Like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Am I worthy of that? And so it's not an imposter syndrome. I mean, it sounds like it, but it's more of a worthiness thing of like, am I worthy of having this? Do I deserve this? It's also the thing that drives me. And it's also the thing that has made me really successful. So it's like that juxtaposition between those two things. And fear is one of those equalizers for me of I either will let it sink me down or I'll let it drive me forward. And I've spent too much time lingering on this particular thing of regardless of what anybody else might be doing around how they do this thing, nobody else is really doing it the way that I will. But like, regardless of what it is, it's mine. And the way that I will do it is mine. And the reason why I'm doing it is I've seen the themes and the patterns and enough people for a long time have asked me for this. And so it's that thing. This is where journaling serves me really well of like my voice versus the market speaks the loudest and I'm listening to what the market is saying to me or people are saying to me versus my own little insecurity voice of worthiness. Well, thank you for sharing that, my friend. I think that's going to be so impactful for so many people listening to this because they can see so much of your success and they're like, is this woman human? You know, you share a lot of human stories regardless, right? But it's sometimes it's really cool to hear what somebody's going through now, which is what they're processing versus five, 10 years ago, because, hey, it's a lot more raw and vulnerable, you know? So I appreciate that. I, I have a feeling I know what it is. I have a feeling I know what it is. I'm going to be like, I'm going to think about it in my head. And when you release it, I'm going to be like, oh, I was wrong or oh, I was right. I'm going to let you know, right? It's coming, it's coming. But what are you optimizing for, Ames, at this point in your life? Are you somebody who is building something to support the ideal lifestyle? Is there something bigger that, you know, you're working towards that we haven't spoken about? What are you optimizing for? Now, I think for me, it's like it has to matter. And it's, what am I leaving behind? Like when I'm not here, what will I be known for? And that matters to me. And leaving, there's something about leaving this place better than when I came into it. And I'm optimizing for that. So I'm at a stage in my career where I've been in the game a long time and I've messed up a lot of things and I've learned a lot of things and I've mastered some things. And for the things that I've mastered, I'm really, really good at. And so it's taking all that in the blender and it's being able to pay that forward and watching people benefit from that, whether it's my paid clients, whether it's people that show up to Thursday night sales, whether it's this new thing that I'm launching, whether it's whatever it is, I feel very, very intent about 
intentionality around that and showing people that you can be really successful without being a giant asshole. And I normally don't swear on recorded things, but I think that that's a really big thing for me is I'm not here to shame or mix it up with people on LinkedIn, for example. And I am here to be at Thursday Night Sales and to shoot people really straight and to have some fun while I'm doing it in a safe environment to hopefully affect people's lives in a positive way. But I think that's like the stuff that I'm optimizing for. And I don't have a lot of time for nonsense. And so nonsense is, I don't care how much self, like peacocking is the word that's coming to mind on LinkedIn with your influence or how many followers you have. If your advice is bad and you're a giant a-hole behind the scenes or you're just doing it to pad your wallet, that's good for you. But I see what your advice does to others because I hear about it behind the scenes and it's icky and that's not good for me. So goes back to that some of the hearts thing. I think a big thing that I'm optimizing for is consideration. So I don't have a lot of time for people that aren't considerate. The human condition is something that's suffered a little bit through the years. And I want to bring that back front and center, the power of real conversation, the power of intentionality, the power of care, and the power of consideration. And so if I'm going to consider somebody, I want them to consider me back even if we're having a tough intersection together, that's okay. But that consideration thing, I'm not sticking around if it's a one-sided street. So like, that's a really big thing for me. And I find that when all those things sort of click in together, everything else tends to work out in the end. You can't fake integrity. You just can't. And I really try to live my life with integrity to pay these things forward and to show people through my actions and my results, not just my words, that there is a different way than the like icky, hacky, tactic-y, gross stuff or what I deem as gross stuff that makes me want to cringe because it's just flash in the pan. I'm a long game gal and maybe that's my enterprise sales roots, but it's yet to work against me. I love it. I love it. And you you said uh, you dropped one swear word. I don't know why, but I very rarely swear on a podcast. And I don't know why today I've dropped about three swear words. I don't know. You bring it out of me, my friend. Well, if we weren't recording, I would have dropped about a million swear words. I have a, <laughs> in fact, I have a horrible potty mouth behind the scenes. Like, no, I can't imagine that. Really? Yes. Yes. The F word is my favorite word. Like fun fact, love that word, but it's just time and place. Like it's, it's the ability to know your, your time and your place. Audience. Yes. Yeah, I'm similar. My wife is always like, Rav, you better not teach our daughter all these swear words. She's going to say them in school. And I'll be like, well, I'll tell the teacher that mum taught her. So you're all good. Um, so or, you know, blame it on Aunt Ames and we're cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Auntie Ames is so bad. We're going to have to tell her to stop FaceTiming you, you know? Yeah, definitely. No doubt. Well, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. But if there's one word to describe your focus right now, I would say it's alignment. And I think that's something that you're always focused on, right? Is constantly moving to alignment. And I think as a seller, some of the tips that you gave around focusing on the good, reframing those inner demons and really focusing on the energy that you surround yourself by is amazing because I think we get so caught up in autopilot aims that we just forget. We were like, where's the magic bullet? Where's this tactic that's going to help me close this deal? And it's like, hold up. 
you're surrounding yourself by Bill and John who are a-holes who just ain't rooting for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that's some of the basic stuff. So I love it, my friend. You know, final question to wrap it up here is, as you know, the show is called The Influential Communicator. So it's only right to say, Ames, who do you look up to as an influential communicator and why? Oh, who I look up to as an influential communicator. Nobody that anybody's going to know. It would have been my grandfather. Oh, really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he is totally my North Star. He was absolute like mega businessman, complete, like could do a deal, was like a shark and would give you the shirt off of his back and was kind and could do a ruthless deal if he had to, but not at the expense of somebody else. And there was something about the fact that he could shoot you a look and there was nothing that would need to be said and you'd know slow your roll. Like there was just something about how he communicated and his ability to do that with empathy, with kindness and how he ran his businesses. And he gave me a front row seat. I was fascinated by him as a, as a child and he had absolute influence over me. So it would be that for me. That's so cool. I didn't expect that. And that's amazing. That is so, normally people give very answers, which are very, somebody's recently written a book and I'm like, oh, let's get him on the show. But unfortunately, I won't be able to bring your grandfather onto the show, but he sounds as though. Probably he's um, passed away, so you will not be able to get him on the show, but hopefully he lives for me in some way, shape or form. So you've had me on the show. So thank you. (laughs) That's dope. I love that. I love that. Now, ladies and gents, you've had a bit of Amy Volas today and you're probably thinking, where can I go to learn more about Ames? So Ames, where can they go to learn more about Ames? I tend to live out loud in a multitude of places. So first and foremost, avenuetalentpartners.com, LinkedIn, I'm there. I think I'm the only Amy Volas that's there. I've got a little baby Twitter handle at the same time. Uh, Thursday Night Sales, all of those are places where you can come hang. Go check it out, people. I'm still yet to check out TNS because of the time zone. It's like 3 a.m. my time. I'm like, one day I'm going to do it. I'm just going to surprise you, Ames. You and Scott are going to be like, who is this guy? You're about to have a child, so your your sleep schedule is going to be all jacked up. So that's the prime time right there. That's exactly what I was thinking. Genuinely, I was like, one day I'm just going to show up at 2 a.m. and just with a baby in my arms and you'll be like, what a weirdo. It wouldn't be the first time and it won't be the last. So we will welcome you with the open arms, as it were. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you and all the stuff that you're doing. And one thing I'd say about you and that one thing I want to acknowledge you for is how congruent you are in terms of the person that you are offline and online. It's the same human being, which is dope, right? Which is what it's all about. Ladies and gents, Amy Volas, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place, probably a solo episode, but regardless subscribe, review, do all that good stuff, right? Show me some love. I'll see you on the other side. Peace. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, i tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. 